Welcome to the Glasgow Baptist Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Erdie Carter. We want to help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. It's pretty weak. Good morning, church. Hey, good. Hey, take your Bibles and go with me to Ruth, the first uh, chapter. Ruth, first chapter. Uh, Ruth is right after Judges and right before 1 Samuel, so you'll find Ruth there. Uh, we're we're going to begin this series today, uh, as Greg has already said, about Ruth. And, and Ruth, Ruth is one of two women who have books in the Bible uh, named after them. It's Ruth and Esther. And uh, there's a little difference between Ruth and Esther. Ruth has, has God mentioned over 25 times. Esther doesn't mention God's name, but, but there is a God in the process there. But as we look at Ruth chapter 1, I, I, I can't help but to tell you, it plays out like a good Hallmark movie. Just say it. You know, Pam and I watched a Hallmark last night, something, uh, you know, Valentine's Day, I don't remember, uh, something about a veil, you know, it's, it, hey, they're all the same, okay? And I'm about to tell you that. Because here's the thing, in, in Hallmark movies, you, you typically have somebody running away from something. I mean, running away from her career, running away from a former boyfriend, running away from parents, whatever, they're running away. They, they run away, and then there's something good happening, and they don't see it, but it's happening. And then there's this hopelessness, like, I'm just no good. I can't find love. And then all of a sudden, there is love. And they kiss, and on the winter ones, it snows and it's over, right? I mean, that's the Hallmark movie. So today, I, I can promise you that there's going to be this uh, running away. There's going to be this, this, this something at work, and it will be God at work. There will be this hopelessness, and then there's love. The only thing it won't have is the kiss at the end. You have to wait until chapter 2 to get to the kiss. Boaz doesn't come into play until, until chapter 2. All right? So take your Bibles. We're going to read the first chapter, uh, 21 verses there. So let's stand there as we honor God's holy word. Beginning in verse 1 of Ruth 1 says, During the time of Judges, there was a famine in the land. A man left Bethlehem in Judea, uh, Judah with his wife and two sons and stayed in the territory of Moab for a while. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. The names of his two sons were uh, Manhan and Kilian. They were Ephraimites from Bethlehem in Judea. And they entered the fields of Moab and settled there. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died. And she was left with her two sons. Her sons took Moabite women as their wives, one named Orpha and the second named Ruth. After they lived there in Moab about 10 years, both Malam and Achillean also died. And the woman was left without her two children and without her husband. She and her daughter-in-law set out to return from the territory of Moab because she had heard in Moab that the Lord had paid attention to his people's needs by providing food. She left the place where she had been living 
accompanied by her two daughter-in-laws, and traveled along the road leading back to the land of Judah. Naomi said to them, Each of you go back to your mother's home, and may the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to the dead and to me. May the Lord grant each of you rest in the house of a new husband. She kissed them, and they wept loudly. And they said to her, We insist on returning with you to your people. But Naomi replied, Return home, my daughters. Why do you want to go with me? Am I able to have more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. Go on, for I am too old to have another husband. And even if I thought there was still hope for me, to have a husband tonight and to bear sons, would you be willing to wait for them to grow up? Would you restrain yourselves from remarrying? No, my daughters, my life is too bitter for you to share because the Lord has turned against me. Again, they wept loudly and Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Naomi said, look at your sister-in-law. She has gone back to her people and to her gods. Follow your sister-in-law. But Ruth replied, don't plead with me to abandon you or to return and not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me and do so severely if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi saw Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped talking to her. The two traveled until they came to Bethlehem. And when they entered Bethlehem, the whole town was excited about their their arrival. The local women claimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, she answered them, for Almighty has made me very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has opposed me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi came back from the territory of Moab with her daughter-in-law Ruth, the Moabitess, and they arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. You may be seated. Well, did you catch it? Did you catch the flow there? The, 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 the running away, the God at work, and the bitterness and love? Well, let's, let's unpack it for a few minutes. It's interesting that the text tells us that this is during the time of Judges. And so you have an idea of what takes place this, this, this time period in which we're talking about happens between um, when, when Israel comes out and Joshua is the leader, between Joshua and the anointing of a king Saul. So all this happens between, and there's, there's, remember there's no king to lead them, and that, that's one of the things Israel gets frustrated and says, give us a king, we want a king. They can't understand that God was their king. And so it's during this period that there's this famine in the land and, and Israel, Israel was supposed to conquer the land as they 
would move into new territories, but because of their unfaithfulness, they would not quite do what all that God commanded them to do. And in doing so, they let people live. And so they're living in Bethlehem with Canaanites. Now it's interesting, the text tells us there is a fierce famine in the land. Bethlehem means house of bread. It is the place in which, which we should be fed. But there's this famine going on. Why wouldn't God take care of his people? Especially in Bethlehem where it's house of bread. Well, we have to understand what's going on. So Israelites living in this land and they are torn. And they're torn between two groups. They, see, they have Yahweh. And they have God. I mean, they have, I apologize, they have Yahweh God and Baal. Yahweh has led them through fights, battles, and won the victory. But the Canaanites worship Baal. Now, Baal is a, is a God who is in charge of harvest and animal and human sexuality. And so, what would happen for a Canaanite, they would worship Baal because Baal is the one who should bring them the harvest. And so what historians believe happens is that Israel fell into the plot of acknowledging God when it comes to war, but following Baal when it came to matters of regular life. Tug of war. We have that same tug of war today. We want to struggle in this tug of war. In fact, here's the big idea this morning. The big idea is simply this. No matter how difficult your circumstances may be, the safest and best place is in the will of God. Catch that. They're struggling. It's a tug of war. But the best and safest place is to be in the will of God. It doesn't mean that life is going to be easy. Has your life been easy? Have you experienced heartache? And Listen, nobody, if somebody promised you when you came to know Christ that if you'll trust Christ as your Lord and Savior, you'll never have any problems. If they told you that, would you go back and kick them really hard in the shin and then tell them that's not what the Bible says? So Israel trying to play this tug of war. And in playing this tug of war, what happens is they... They follow the Canaanite god, Baal. And I think it's funny because they're Bethlehem, the house of bread, and Baal who is in charge of, of the harvest. And so, so you kind of have an idea how Canaanites worship. They worship Baal, but there's also this goddess that they need. Because there is Baal who's the male god and then Asherah who is the female deity. And what happens is she is the fertility goddess. Baal is the, the harvest goddess, the animal and human sexuality goddess. And so what happens is those two have to come together intimately. And when they come together intimately, then all good things happen. And if you worship Baal, you're not a spectator, but you are a participant. 
And so what you do is you try to help Baal and Asherah not, not forget you. And so you are to practice the same practice. And when you practice that intimacy with, with someone else, you will encourage the God to create the fertility that will bring forth the crop. And so what happens is in, in, in places of Baal worship, Baal typically the, the worship is on a hillside, a mountain, so it kind of covers and sees everything. But also in that period, you had these men and women who were basically staying at the temple for intimacy practices with those who would come to worship so that the goddess Baal and Asherah could see you get it on and they would get it on and blessings would flow. And yet, what does the text tell us? There was a severe famine in the land. Why? Because we know from Leviticus 26 in Deuteronomy 28, there was punishment because the people of Israel had sinned. Oh, the physical answer is there wasn't enough rain to produce the crops. The spiritual answer was God's punishment was coming upon them. And so the story of, of Ruth starts off with this severe famine because of the, of the failure of, of the people of Israel. And so Elimelech and his family decide it's time to leave. And scholars all said it's interesting that he decides to leave. He leaves Israel, the place that God has for them, and goes to a land that's not, that doesn't even acknowledge God, doesn't even worship God, and he goes over there because he hears it's a better opportunity for his family. And let's think about that for a moment. You, you do the same thing. I do the same thing. What's best for our family? But see, we don't read here God's response to Elimelech's leaving. We just see how it works out for him. Because he leaves to go find a better place. And we know it's not in a territory that God has told him. In fact, we don't read like we do Jonah that Jonah runs opposite direction of God. We don't read in Abraham, like we do with Abraham, that Abraham had sinned. We just read where he goes and after he gets there, he dies. And I don't know about you, but that doesn't seem like it works out to me. Naomi loses her husband. Her two sons marry Moabite women. Now by this time, God has already told them, hey, you need to marry within the Israelite clan. Where do they marry? Outside of the clan. The text tells us they lived there 10 years. And at 10 years, the two boys die, leaving now three widows. You see, we see in this text, we see in this text where they are running away. They're, they're running away from what's happening. The decision to leave is based on physical, not spiritual demands. They run to a city that's not, not a city of God. We see, we see this brokenness take place. 
And then all of a sudden, we learn from verses 6 and following that Naomi has still connections back in Bethlehem. And what does she hear? God's not forgotten us. God didn't forget us. There's food. The famine is over. God is at work. So Naomi decides to come home. But as she goes home, she takes her two daughter-in-laws with her. And on the journey, they have this conversation that takes place. Now, now get this. These two daughter-in-laws, the marriage culture is, as Naomi says to those two daughters, daughter-in-laws, that listen, if I could have boys today, because what happens is, is one brother dies, the other one is to take responsibility for the other's wife. And so on down the line. Well, there is no more boys unless Naomi remarries and has boys. And let's just be honest. She says, what's the chances of that happening? But there's a love so much that they have that the text tells us they weep loudly. I mean, this is, this is, a, this is a great mother-in-law and daughter-in-law relationship. Because they didn't fight with her. They didn't argue with her. They were going with her until she pleads for them to turn back. Ophrah does. But Ruth. Ruth has those lines that I bet in your wedding vows, the minister probably used them. In fact, most weddings I do, I, I use these words of Ruth when she looks at her mother-in-law and says... Don't beg me to leave. Where you live, I will live. Where you die, I will die. Your God will be my God. People will be my people. All of a sudden, in the midst of all this hopelessness, Ruth reveals a great love. A, a love that reflects that of God for his children. A love that is so reflective that, that reminds us that there's only one who loves that way and Ruth is trying to love that way. And so they go on the journey. It's an interesting beginning. But it's a beginning that I think a lot of people, a lot of people go through. I mean, we've had ups and downs in our own lives, have we not? We've had moments where we wanted to run from things. Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. There, there are things that we need to, to run and leave behind. But we need to do that because God calls us to, not because we are afraid or don't like it. But we've all wanted to run from something or someone we've all had those moments in which we felt hopeless not knowing what to do how, how, to, how, how to how to deal with something some of you have been praying for my cousin his wife she passed away this week went from 
about a month, it went from walking into the hospital, uh, doctor's office saying, I'm not feeling really good, to, to dying. 43 leaves two children behind, a middle schooler and an elementary school boy. I stood there yesterday at the funeral and thought, the only hope they have is in Christ Jesus. We, we've been there. And sometimes when we get there, we continue to go the wrong direction. So let me share four things that I think we can take from this text that happened with Naomi. Because you can come back. You can come back. God wants you to come back. And it's okay. You don't have to have it together. Sometimes people think, I've got to have my life in order before God will accept me. Let me share four things that we see out of this text that we can do. The first one is, you can come back empty. You can come back empty. I mean, Naomi is coming back, and she's coming back empty. Look at verse 21. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. She left with a family. She left with everything, and it was all gone, and she comes back empty. You can do the same. You don't have to have your act together to come back to God. He didn't, he didn't need you all polished up, looking good. He just needs you a willing heart. And some of you, that means coming back broken because you can't get over whatever it was you ran away from or whatever it was that drove you away from God or whatever your past is. Just come back empty and let God fill you. Let God take your life and change you. You can come back empty. The second thing we learned from this text, you can come back with little expectations. Naomi had no expectations. She tells her two daughter-in-laws, listen, even if I got married and had a child tonight, would you wait? There's no expectation. I can't do this. God just wants you to come back. He, he, you don't need to be worry about the expectations. You, you just need to come back surrendering. Come back empty. Come back. We've all been there. We've all, we've all had nothing to give. And at the moment, God just wants you to come back. The third thing is you can come back bitter. You can come back bitter. Naomi, her name means pleasant. What happens when she comes back? Don't call me Naomi. Call me Myra. Bitter. I'm bitter what God has done to me. I'm bitter at what has happened. Listen, you can come back and be bitter. Because God can take that bitterness and change your heart. He can take that brokenness and make you whole. He can take you empty 
and fill you. So come back. Some of us, some of us struggle when, when things happen and we want to run. We get angry at God. My cousin who lost his wife, I sent him a text in the midst of all this. I'd gone to Owensboro the night they thought she was dying and texted throughout the time. He replied back after his wife died, and I said, I'm praying for you. He said, Arlie Carter, which is my grandfather. He said, Arlie Carter told me one time, no matter what happens, everything's going to be all right. My grandfather loved the Lord unconditionally. Left this world sooner than he should have. But he had a way of reminding us that God is in control. That no matter what we face, it'll be all right. You can come back bitter because God can take that bitter life and change it. The fourth thing I just want you to see from this text is the idea you can come back. Just come back. Naomi had to make a decision. And that decision was, I'm going back. I'm going back. Listen, we don't read where this is a spiritual aha moment for her. We don't read that, oh, what a great day. It just, we read where she acknowledges God is doing, God has not forgotten us. And I need to go back. Can I tell you this morning, God has not forgotten you. Whatever it is you face, whatever situation you're in, God's not forgotten you. As a church, God's not forgotten us as a church. God's not turned his back. God's not turned his back on our country, on our, on our world. He's not forgotten us. He just needs us to come back. He needs us to be faithful and acknowledge that He is God. And for you this morning, that may be coming back empty, broken, bitter. But would you just come back? That's the important lesson. Sometimes we don't think we can come back, but we can always come back. Years ago, my father had, one of, had a conversation with me that I, I've never quite told him how frustrated I was with him after the conversation, which would be no surprise because he would probably tell me how many times he had a conversation with me and was frustrated. So I had an opportunity, I've told this story before, I had an opportunity when I was 19 years old to... Uh, to, to move to Texarkana, Texas. Um, I'd been in Akron, Ohio for a good year on a training exercise and doing some things, learning some things. And when I was there, I met a lady who her family owned, she and her husband owned the largest privately owned Goodyear dealership in the, in the United States. We struck up a, a relationship. Her, her husband had passed. Her son was leading the organization. And she said, I'd like for you to come to work for me. She said, my son wants to do this, and you've got the talent to do that. I'd like to bring you 
out to Texarkana. You come stay at our guest house, we'll put you up. Well, 19-year-old kid hearing that kind of thing, well, hallelujah, yeah, you know. I called my father. What do you think, Dad? Well, son, if you go out there, we might see you once a year. Maybe. We may come out there, I don't know. You know, you, if you leave and go out there, you never can come home. I hung up the phone and I thought, well, daggone, Dad, you've not helped me at one iota. And I prayed about it, and I prayed about it, and I prayed about it, and I realized that's just not what God wanted me to do. <laughs> but I did. I went to my father and went, I can't come home. What do you mean I can't come home? And then I proved him wrong. I came back home. Listen, my father loved me unconditionally. He wasn't going to let me not come home. Oh, you know, we might think he wasn't going to let me come back home, but he was going to let me come back home. Your father in heaven wants you to come back home. He's eager for you to come back home. He's waiting for you to come back home. This morning, if you're here and you don't know Christ, you can come to know Christ today. You can bring your emptiness, your bitterness, your brokenness, and he can heal you. He can take all that and change you. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. But you have to come to a place in your life and say, I'm ready to surrender and come home. This choice is yours. He gives us free will. He gives us an opportunity to say yes. Will you say yes? Will you acknowledge him as God? Admit that you're a sinner and need him and believe in your heart that Christ was risen from the dead for your sins. Today, you can come home. Maybe today, this morning, you know Christ is your personal Lord and Savior, but you've been running because of something that's happened. Today, would you just let loose and come home? Maybe you need to come to the altar and turn that over to God. You come down here, pray quietly. I'll pray with you, whatever the case may be. Bring a friend, bring a group, whatever. Maybe this morning you need to join our church family. Maybe God's been waiting for you to, to join a family of faith so you can plug in and grow and be a part of what God's doing. Whatever the case may be this morning, would you just surrender? Surrender your all today. Would you stand with me?